Our gospel reading this morning is from John's Gospel, chapter 10. I will begin at verse 22 and run through the end of the chapter. Hear the word of God. At that time, the Feast of Dedication took place in Jerusalem. It was winter. And Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? The Jews answered him, It is not for the good works that we are going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself God. Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law, I said you are gods, if he called them gods to whom the word of God came, and scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him whom the Father consecrated and sent into the world, you are blaspheming because I said, I am the Son of God? If I am not doing the works of my Father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. Again, they sought to arrest him, but he escaped from their hands. He went away again across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing at first, and there he remained. And many came to him, and they said, John did no sign, but everything that John said about this man was true, and many believed in him there. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So for the past several months, I've been preaching through the gospel of John. Of the four gospels, this is the last one to have been written, probably no earlier than 90 AD, nearly 60 years after the death of Jesus. While this gospel is anonymous, the writer never tells us his name, the tradition within the church has always pointed to the Apostle John, the only one of the twelve who was not martyred. And I see no reason to doubt this tradition, and I do assume that the author of this gospel is also the author of the book of Revelation and the author of the three letters which do bear John's name. 
So John writes this gospel many years after Matthew, Mark, and Luke have written their gospels. And it is fair to wonder why John would write a new gospel when there were already three gospels around to tell the story of Jesus. John's gospel has a different flavor than the other gospels. I call it the cosmic gospel. Because John very clearly communicates the surpassing cosmic grandeur of Jesus. John has a very clear sense that Jesus is something above, something beyond anything that this world has ever seen. Now, this gospel might be so cosmic... Because John also had the unusual, the unique experience of having visited heaven before he died. That has to change your perspective. The book of Revelation is his account of what John saw and heard while he was in heaven. John tells us explicitly his purpose in writing this gospel, this account of the life of Jesus' life and ministry. In John 20, 30 and 31, John says, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Now, if you've been hanging out with us for a while during this sermon series, you probably already know that this word sign, semea in Greek, is one of John's two words for miracles, for things that seem to violate the laws of nature. The other word is works, or erga in Greek, turning water into wine, healing the son of a Roman official without ever even seeing the boy, healing a man who has lain paralyzed beside the pool at Bethsaida for 37 years, feeding 5,000 people with a few fishes and loaves, walking across the top of the Sea of Galilee, and healing a man who has been blind since birth. These are six of the seven signs, Semea, that we have read thus far in the Gospel of John. Number seven, the raising of Lazarus, is coming next week, so please be sure to be here for that. John says, Jesus did many other signs, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. That is John's purpose in writing this gospel. His ultimate goal, his final purpose, is that we may have life in Jesus' name. John is writing this gospel because he wants something good for us. And to have life in Jesus' name, John tells us that we need to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And in order that we might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, John tells us about these seven signs, these seven miracles which Jesus did. As I've said before in this sermon series, the purpose of the miracles or signs performed by Jesus is not to alleviate the suffering of people. Yes, Jesus is full of compassion and he cares about paralyzed and blind people. But the miracles of Jesus have a much grander, a much more cosmic purpose. 
The purpose of the miracles is so that we might see and understand and believe that Jesus is who he says he is. Jesus has repeatedly testified about who he is. And please understand, who Jesus is is not an easy thing for us to wrap our minds around. Last week we read the passage where Jesus calls himself the good shepherd. Where he says that he is the door to the sheepfold. Where he says that he has the the authority to lay down his life and to take up his life again. Jesus is telling the God's honest truth. But many of the people who are listening to him think that he's just plain crazy. In verse 10 we read, many of them said he has a demon and is insane. So... It is one thing for Jesus to tell us who he is, but because who he is is so far outside of our experience. It is another thing for him to provide signs and works and miracles which confirm what Jesus has said. And so in our reading this morning, Jesus says to the skeptical crowd, even if you don't believe me... Believe the works, erga, miracles, that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and that I am in my Father. Jesus makes it clear that he's not performing these signs, these miracles, in his own power. Jesus isn't a magician. Jesus isn't Superman. Jesus makes it clear that he is not performing these signs in his own power, but rather that God the Father is performing them through him. These miracles are called signs because they signify to us God's endorsement of this man Jesus. The signs are from God. And they are signs that Jesus is not just a regular guy. He's not an ordinary human being. There's something cosmic about him. And these miracles, which seem to violate everything we understand about the laws of nature, these Miracles are God's sign to us, God's way of getting our attention, God's indication that we need to listen to Jesus because something surprising, because something cosmic is going on. I've said repeatedly in this sermon series that the Gospel of John is primarily about the identity of Jesus. Who is this Jesus? And throughout the gospel, Jesus reveals more and more of his true identity. There's a slow and purposeful uncovering of the cosmic reality of Jesus. You'll remember that the gospel of John opens with a prologue, a magnificent cosmic hymn of praise about the identity of Jesus. Those opening verses are probably the most familiar parts of this gospel. Though they proceed and they they stand above and outside of the actual historical narrative that makes up the main body of the gospel. In that prologue, we hear this gorgeous, soaring language. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him. And without Him was not anything made that was made In him was life. And the life was the light of humanity. 
The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. And then in verse 14 we hear, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. How beautiful is that? That's a cosmic vision of Christ. That's the opening movement of this gospel. A kind of overture of the gospel. A gospel which then quickly settles down to the rather more mundane and historical events surrounding the life of Jesus. Events punctuated by seven extraordinary signs. So who is this Jesus? For hundreds of years, the Jewish people had been looking for the Messiah, for the Christ. Those names, by the way, one is Hebrew, one is Greek. Both of them mean the anointed one. In ancient Israel, there was a tradition of anointing kings with oil, applying oil to their head as a sign of their special calling to high office. The prophets foretold the coming of a righteous man. He would be a descendant of King David and he would restore the kingdom of Israel and Judah to its former glory and he would usher in an era of worldwide peace. Here's how the 12th century A.D. Jewish scholar Maimonides describes the Messiah. Quote, If a king shall arise from among the house of David studying Torah and occupied with commandments like his father David... And if he will impel all of Israel to follow it, and if he will fight God's wars, this one is to be treated as if he were the Messiah. And if he succeeds and builds the holy temple in its proper place and gathers the dispersed ones of Israel together, this is indeed the Messiah for certain. And he will mend the entire world. End quote. The Jews were looking for the Messiah. And every time an especially righteous man appeared among them, they wanted to know, is he the one? In the first chapter of the Gospel of John, we have the story of John the Baptizer, who is the first cousin of Jesus. We read this little passage. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask John, who are you? He confessed, I am not the Christ And now, ten chapters later, we see a group of Jews again gathered around Jesus in the temple. And what they say to him, why do you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. What Jesus answers is not so plain. Not so plain as we might like. Not so plain that it satisfied the Jews who had put the question. I told you, he says. And you didn't believe The works, the erga, that I do in my Father's name bear witness to me also. That's verse 25. Jesus has told them a number of times. He's told them a number of things about himself. By this point in the gospel, Jesus has already said to them, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. That's what Jesus has told them. And they say, yeah, 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 Jesus, we've heard all about that. But what we really want to know is, are you the Messiah? And so Jesus told them who he is. And then he goes on to say, the works that I do in my Father's name bear witness to me. The miracles are signs from God certifying who Jesus is. 
certifying that he is who he says he is. Even those who are skeptical about what Jesus is teaching say that the signs point to Jesus' relationship with God. You'll remember in John chapter 3, Nicodemus, one of the Pharisees, comes to Jesus secretly at night and he says to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God be with him. So, yeah, Jesus, you've come from God, but what we want to know is, are you the Messiah? From where I stand, and I confess that it is always dangerous to judge another person's point of view, but from where I stand, it seems to me that the folks who have so much trouble with Jesus are actually having a Messiah fixation. They have only one category that they're curious about. Messiah. Are you or are you not the Messiah? Yeah, don't talk to me about being my shepherd. Don't talk to me about being the door for the sheep. Are you the Messiah? Today is Palm Sunday. We Protestants don't have many days on our church calendar. Christmas and Easter are the two biggies. Even the most Protestant of the Protestants keep those feast days. Though they didn't always. You might know that in the 17th century when the Puritan pilgrims came and settled in New England, they didn't observe Christmas. They thought that holiday was just a lot of pagan foolishness. Running up to Easter, most churches observe Holy Week, which features Maundy Thursday and Good Friday. Holy Week kicks off with Palm Sunday, which is today. Those of you who know me know that I'm not really big on the church calendar myself. I have enough trouble remembering my wife's birthday, much less Three Kings Day and Ascension Sunday and Ash Wednesday and Pentecost. When I asked my wife about the Christian feast days that she remembered, she she mentioned Maria Himmelsfahrt. When's that? Maria Himmelsfahrt. She remembers it because when she was in school in Switzerland, they would get off on Maria's Himmel. That was the day that Maria ascended into heaven. Mary, Mary sent to him, the Virgin Mary, the Assumption of Mary. Anybody, good Catholics know when the Assumption of Mary is? I don't know. Now, the Roman Catholics, you know, (laughs) the Roman Catholics, they know how to enjoy the church calendar. Aside from all of the feast days, they also have the fast days to remember. We are still in Lent, for those of you who observe Lent. Lent kicks off on Ash Wednesday and it comes to a close 40 days later on Maundy Thursday. And then there are all of the saint days. There are so many Catholic saints down through the centuries and they all get a mention in the church calendar. Now my favorite day of the year is November 28th, which is my birthday. I share that day with the Reverend Ian Clark, but I also share that day with a whole bunch of saints as well. Not that Ian Clark isn't a saint, but he's not a Catholic saint, I mean... But on November 28th, the Catholic Church remembers St. Andrew Trong, St. Catherine Labour, St. Fianchu, St. Hippolytus, St. James of the Marshes, Blessed James Thomas, St. Mary Joseph Pignatelli, St. Papianus, St. Pascal Bailon, St. Rufus and Companions, St. Valerian, and those are just to name a few. Roman Catholics really know how to enjoy the church calendar. I have to confess that my own private church calendar only has two dates on it. Easter and the second coming. 
Our whole lives are lived between Easter and the second coming. Easter happened 2,000 years ago. And for Christians, because of the resurrection of Jesus, everything in this life is just enjoying Christ and looking forward to his return in glory and the coming of his kingdom. But anyway, today is Palm Sunday. You've got your palms. And I'm not sure that it's exactly a feast day. Someone can correct me on this. Maybe someone should talk to me after the service so I don't mess it up in the next service. It does mark the beginning of Holy Week. It commemorates the event that we call the triumphal entry. When Jesus entered Jerusalem to shouts of Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Jesus came riding into the city on a borrowed donkey and crowds of people lined the streets to celebrate and they waved the palm branches and they covered the pavements with their cloaks and their palm branches. They were shouting Hosanna. They were shouting blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord because they thought that Jesus was the Messiah. At last, after all of these centuries of longing and waiting, Messiah has come. All of the tribes of Israel will be reunited and the kingdom of Israel will be reestablished and the Romans will be thrown out and peace and justice will reign throughout the world. Who wouldn't want to celebrate that good news? That was the first Palm Sunday, the day of the triumphal entry. But as all of you know, It was kind of a mistake because the people who celebrated Jesus' entry into the city on that Sunday didn't understand who Jesus was. They were only asking one question, are you the Messiah? And they failed to grasp that Jesus is so much more. The last thing that we want to do as Christians is to copy those people who were waving palm branches on the first Palm Sunday because we know that before the week is over, they're in the streets shouting, crucify him, crucify him. It's a strange day, Palm Sunday. It's a day of mistaken identity. It's a day of misunderstood identity. The crowds hail Jesus as their earthly king, which sounds fine. Until you realize that Jesus is so much more than that. The Gospel of John follows Jesus through the course of his ministry and the identity of Jesus, like in a good detective novel, is uncovered piece by piece. With each successive chapter, we get a fuller and fuller vision of who Jesus is. Now, I don't want to underestimate how hard of a job it is to do that. Any human is enormously complex. How many people are there in your life who really know who you are? How many hundreds of pages does a biography use to capture the life and the essence of an interesting person? And then put on top of that, we're talking about Jesus. You understand, of course, that in the entire history of the planet, in the entire history of the human race, the name Jesus is known more than the name of any other human who has ever lived. And more words have been written about Jesus than any person who ever walked on planet Earth. Jesus is huge. But who is he? Who do you say that he is? 
In our gospel reading this morning, we see Jesus again explaining who he is. And again, what he says angers the people of his time. They ang- he angers them so much they take up stones to kill him. Jesus is in the temple and the people are pestering him. If you are the Christ, if you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. This is what they cared about above all else. Because the Messiah would be their political liberator. As conquered Jews, they were living under the boot of the Roman Empire. And Messiah would turn that power relationship upside down. With Messiah on the throne in Jerusalem, they would go from being the oppressed and marginalized community to being the ruling elite of the world. With Messiah on the throne in Jerusalem, their beloved city would go from being a minor provincial capital at the edge of the empire to being the epicenter of power in the universe. No wonder they wanted Messiah to appear. Don't we all? Don't we want someone to champion our cause and make us powerful? In some ways, Jesus looked like what they were expecting. He was a student of the Torah. He performed signs and wonders like a man of God. But in other ways, Jesus is a disappointment. The Messiah they were looking for would be a noble champion riding on a majestic horse with large armies at his command. But Jesus shows up, a humble carpenter, riding a borrowed donkey, leading a ragtag band of unarmed followers. Everyone... Even his enemies recognized that there was something extraordinary about Jesus. And so they kept asking, because they only had one category, are you the Messiah? Yes, he was the Messiah. But he was so much more than the Messiah. There in the temple courts, surrounded by people who demanded that Jesus make clear who he is, Jesus tells them that he is not only the Messiah sent by God, but that he and God are one. I and the Father are one, Jesus says, and the Jews pick up stones to kill him. The Father is in me, and I am in the Father, Jesus says, and the Jews sought To arrest him so they could put him to death. As Christians, we don't follow a prophet. As Christians, we don't give our allegiance to a political king. As Christians, we don't admire a miracle working man of God. As Christians, we worship Jesus. Jesus who was born of the Virgin Mary. Jesus who is himself fully and eternally God. When Jesus says, I and the Father are one. When Jesus says, the Father is in me and I am in the Father. The Jews understood perfectly well what he was saying. That's why they picked up those stones. Because either Jesus is telling the truth. And we fall down at his feet and we worship him. Or Jesus is lying and we pick up stones and we say, How dare you, a man, blaspheme almighty God? There is no middle ground. 
There is no third logical choice. Either Jesus is who he says he is, as unbelievable as that is, and we worship him and we serve him with all that we are, or Jesus is a complete nut job or a devil from hell. Someone to be thrown into a mental institution or crucified outside of the city gates. So who do you say that Jesus is? On this Palm Sunday, as we enter into Holy Week with our eyes on the coming resurrection, we need to make a choice. We need to get off the fence. Is Jesus God? Will we worship Him and serve Him and own Him as our Lord and Master and Redeemer and Savior? Or will we pick up stones and say, get out of here, you psychotic fool? Will we imitate the crowds on Palm Sunday who in a few days will turn on Jesus and cry, crucify Him, crucify Him? It's one or the other. Jesus is either Lord or He is a pitiable nut job. I'm reminded... Of Joshua standing there with all of the people of Israel. They're on the banks of the Jordan getting ready to cross over into the promised land. And Joshua, their leader, stands up in front of them and says, Choose this day whom you will serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. The choice is yours. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Almighty God, we pray that you would add your blessing to the proclamation of your word. pray that we might know you as our shepherd and as our savior, as our redeemer, as our Lord. We pray that we might know you as God. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to invite you all to now stand. And using the words of the Nicene Creed, which are made available for you inside of the bulletin, maybe they'll appear magically on the screen. Let us confess what it is that we believe as Christians. We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, begotten from God before all ages, God from God, light from light, true God from true God. Begotten, not made, of the same essence as the Father. Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven. He became incarnate by the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary and was made human. He was crucified for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. The third day he rose again. According to the scriptures, he ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. 
He will come again with glory to judge the living and the dead. His kingdom will never end. And we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life. He proceeds from the Father and the Son. And with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified. He spoke through the prophets. We believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. We affirm one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look forward to the resurrection of the dead and to life in the world to come. Amen.